No offense, but they're my favorites. <laughs> Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read the Old Testament lectionary text for the day. We'll read verses 22 to 31. Uh, before we read the text, let me give you a little bit of background on what's going on here. Um, at this point uh, in the book of Genesis, Jacob is preparing to meet his estranged brother Esau. If you're familiar with this story, um, Jacob's older brother Esau, from whom he stole his birthright, his blessing, um, is, is on his way to see Jacob. So Esau was supposed to receive a birthright. He was supposed to receive a blessing from his father, but Jacob tricked him, and Jacob tricked his father, and he stole the birthright, which meant that Jacob was set to receive this enormous physical and spiritual inheritance from their father rather than Esau. Esau got robbed of the most valuable birthright in the history of the world. And now, it's some 25 years later, and the two brothers have never spoken since, since the big swindle, and Jacob hears that Esau is coming, and oh, by the way, Esau has 400 soldiers with him. So, Jacob has every reason to believe that Esau is coming to kill him. And as you see, um, as you'll see in the text, Jacob takes every person that he loves and he sends them away. And he takes every possession that he owns and he sends them away. And he takes all of the security in his life that he has and he sends it away. And Jacob leaves himself completely alone, ready to face whatever is about to happen to him. And that's where we start reading. Genesis 32 beginning at verse 22. Listen to God's word. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he went over all of his possessions. He sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he, he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. So like I said a couple of weeks ago, 
Jacob is probably my favorite Old Testament character. I love him, and I love his story so much. And this text, I believe, is the climax of Jacob's story. This is where everything comes to a head for Jacob. We don't have time to talk about all of it, but there's all of these different themes in Jacob's life, and all of these different themes are converging in this story. They're all coming together in this story. Everything that's interesting about the story of Jacob is in this crescendo, uh, aiming exactly at this text. Um, And to tip us off to the importance of this event, the narrator does something really, really clever. So the narrator of Genesis. Uh, If you're here a couple of weeks ago, I I preached on Jacob's dream at Bethel in Genesis 28. Maybe you remember. So back in Genesis 28, Jacob had stolen his brother's birthright, and he ran away from home, and he was out in the middle of the desert, and Jacob's life was at an all-time low. Everything was really, really bad for Jacob. He had literally nothing. He didn't even have a knapsack to put his head on to go to sleep. So he grabbed some rock, and he put his head on that rock, and he fell asleep. And then right there in Genesis 28, verse 11, the narrator of Genesis says, Then the sun went down, and Jacob fell asleep. The sun went down, and Jacob fell asleep. Now, That sounds pretty normal, right? The sun goes down and people go to sleep. I've mentioned this before. Robert Alter, who is a scholar in ancient Near Eastern literature, he says that in ancient Near Eastern literature, whenever the sun goes down on someone, it means that that is a symbol of abandonment. It is a symbol of divine abandonment. It symbolizes the beginning of a dark period in someone's life. It symbolizes the beginning of a period of loneliness and a period of vulnerability. So when the sun goes down on Jacob, as he's falling asleep in Genesis 28, there is no mention of the sun again until the very end of the text that we just read for this morning, when it says the sun rose up over Jacob as he passed over, as he passed through Peniel, and Peniel means the face of God. So, we've got some bookends here, right? The sun goes down and the sun comes up, and we are talking about 25 years of life in between. 25 years of the sun being down on Jacob. 25 years of struggle and vulnerability, and confusion, and abandonment. And then finally, here in Genesis chapter 32, in our text, finally the sun comes up and Jacob emerges on the other side of this. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jacob, or if you were to go back and read those five chapters in between, those 25 years, you would discover that those 25 years of abandonment and struggle were also the years where Jacob fell in love and got married and had children and became wealthy and received blessing upon blessing upon blessing from God. So Jacob's life during those 25 years of divine abandonment, Jacob's life looked pretty good from the outside. And any casual observer 
would have looked at Jacob and looked at his life and said, well, there's a guy who's happy. Well, there's a guy who's content. Well, there's a guy who's fulfilled. But what they didn't know is that the sun was down on Jacob. There was an abiding darkness for Jacob. He could not get his arms around everything that he wanted. He kept grabbing and he kept grabbing and he kept grabbing and he couldn't get his arms around it. He couldn't get his arms around the person that he wanted to be. And he kept grabbing and he kept grabbing and he kept grabbing for more. So you read the story of Jacob and you get this sense that there's some real unfinished business between Jacob and God. That there was a real struggle between Jacob and God. Jacob had to wrestle with his brother and struggle with his brother. He had to steal the birthright. He had to run away from his home. He had to accumulate all of these possessions. But through all of this getting and all of this grabbing, the sun remained down on Jacob. He had the blessing. He had the birthright. He had the family. He had the wealth. He had everything, but the sun remained down on him. I've been thinking a lot about the second half of life lately. As uh, some of you may know, I turned 40 years old in the last year. And sometimes when people turn 40, they do foolish things like quit their jobs (laughs) and go back to school and start a career that's totally different than the one that they currently have. So... As I've been contemplating my midlife, and as I think about, uh, God willing, the second half of my life, I've been doing some casual research, uh, mostly of you. And I've been trying to figure out what kind of person I want to be in the second half of my life. I've been trying to figure out what kind of person I want to be when I grow up. And I know that I want to be wise like Dot. And I know that I want to be strong like Lois. And I know that I want to be kind like Don. I know that I want to be open-hearted like Tom. I know that I want to be gracious, like Mary, God rest her soul. And I know that I want to see people like Kathy. And many, many more. (laughs) Many, many more. Uh, I've also done some research in the Bible, and I have figured out that I want to be like Peter, who... As he got older, he got softer in volume and softer in heart. And I want to be like John the Baptist, who, the older he got, he cared less and less about what he was wearing and less and less about how he was perceived and less and less about what people were saying about him. I also think about this story in John chapter 8 when this woman was caught in sin 
And she was just about to be stoned to death until Jesus intervened and he said, whoa, let those among you who have the first sin cast the, uh, who have no sin cast the first stone. And do you know who the first people were to put down their stones? The text said it was the oldest people in the crowd. The oldest ones were the first ones to put down their stones. I want to be one of those guys. I want to be one of the guys who is the first to put down the stone. Even better than that, I want to be the type of person who doesn't pick up a stone in the first place. Uh, In the last couple of years, I have found such a treasure in this book called Falling Upward. Falling Upward is a book by Father Richard Rohr. Um, This book is not perfectly orthodox, but neither am I, and neither are you, and neither is God, but that's an entirely different story, different sermon. But in this book, uh, Richard Rohr talks about the first half of life and the second half of life, and he compares the first half of life with the second half of life, and he talks about how in the first half of life, we're trying to build something. And so we need structure, and we need rules, and we need guide rails, and we try to construct this thing that is perfect, and that is precise, and that is convenient, and that is efficient, and that is a watertight way of looking at the world so that we've got it all figured out, we've got the whole thing figured out, and there it is, we've made it, we've done it. And then in the second half of life, he says, if we're lucky... All of that comes crumbling down, if we're lucky. If we're lucky, or by God's providence, we have a great fall, or we have a great failure, or we have a great reckoning, or we have a great humbling. If we're lucky, we lose everything, And the house of cards that we so carefully built and all the plans that we constructed and all the money that we set aside and all of the theology that we perfected, it all falls apart. And then it's at this moment, Rohr says, it's at this moment, which is most often in the second half of life, it's at this moment that we really begin to mature. Somewhere along the way, we all need to have a fall. Somewhere along the way, our lives need to come crashing down. It doesn't have to be all at once. It doesn't have to be one great big public event. Not everybody needs to check themselves into rehab. It doesn't have to be one great big event. Sometimes it can happen slowly throughout a series of changes over many, many years. But everything has to come crashing down. At some point, if we're lucky, by God's providence, we will fall hard enough to actually surrender our ego, to surrender our arrogance, to surrender our superiority, and to surrender that white-knuckle control that we try to demand from our lives. Here's the thing. The great fall 
that Richard Rohr describes, it isn't a falling down, it's a falling upward. Something about our human instincts make us want to avoid humility. We hate humility. Uh, Call it sin, call it pride, call it survival of the fittest. We want to come out on top. We want to be the masters of our circumstances. We want to be the masters of our environments. But that's not the way that the gospel works. It's not. It never has been and it never will be. The gospel is falling upward. Lady Julian of Norwich says, first there is the fall, then there is the recovery from the the fall, both are the mercy of God. First there is the fall, then there is the recovery from the fall, both are the mercy of God. The genius of the gospel is that the solution is in the problem. Isn't that so elegant? The genius of the gospel is that the solution is in the problem. The rising is in the fall. The resurrection is in the death. The way up is the way down. Jesus said, blessed are the capable, blessed are the accomplished, blessed are the highly... No, 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 no. He didn't say any of that, right? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So in the story of Jacob, he begins with nothing. He so much has nothing, not even a knapsack to lay his head on that he has to borrow a rock to do it. And he has this dream at Bethel And what he does is he starts grabbing. He starts grabbing for everything that he can get. In fact, the name Jacob means grabber. And so he's grabbing for the birthright. He's grabbing for what belongs to his brother. He's grabbing for the blessing of his father. He's grabbing for wealth. He's grabbing for possessions. And he's grabbing for control. And the sun goes down on him. And then after 25 years of darkness, Jacob wrestles with God and the sun rises on him. But what happened to all of the things that he possessed in those 25 years? They're gone. Did you notice that? He has nothing when he wrestles God. Just like he did at Bethel. He has nothing. All of his heirs he sent across the river. All of his possessions he sent across the river. Everything he uh, accumulated he sent across the river. Jacob is completely alone and God gives him a new name. He's no longer the grabber. He gives him a new name which is Israel, which means one who struggles with God, one who wrestles with God, one who falls with God. Now, this begs the question. Jacob is left with nothing. Then what was this birthright? What was this blessing that he fought so hard to receive? What was this thing that he received from his father? What happened to that? What happened to this inheritance that he was supposed to possess? Here's what I think. 
I think the birthright was his fall. I think the birthright was his wrestling with God. It wasn't the money. It wasn't the camels. It wasn't the servants. It wasn't the heirs. It wasn't the wives. It wasn't the gold. Because at the greatest moment of his life, when Jacob was face to face with the living God, he didn't have any of that stuff. His birthright was the right to fall upward. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how, how um, Jacob was God's favorite loser, right? He just kept losing and losing in the grace of God, inexplicably. His birthright was undeserved grace. His birthright was the ability to wrestle God into the depths of hell and then somehow, by God's grace, to come out on top. Jacob's birthright, which we share in today, is the right to fall upward. You can ask Jacob. You can ask Moses. You could ask David. You could ask Ruth. You could ask Naomi. You could ask Boaz. You could ask Peter. You could ask Nathaniel. You could ask Thomas. You could ask James. You could ask Mary. You could ask the other Mary. You could ask the third Mary. They will all say that the birthright is falling upward. You could ask Jesus, the ultimate example of falling upward, who descended into hell and yet reigns in heaven. The genius of the gospel is that the solution is in the problem. We can embrace the problem. I have good news for us. God doesn't want more from us. He wants less from us. Be less sure. Be less confident. Be less preachy. Be less pious. Be less full of yourself. Be less argumentative. Be less willing. Be less like the older brother who thought that his salvation was found in his sinlessness. And be more like the younger brother who embraced the fall and emerged by God's grace, somehow on top. The death and resurrection of Jesus, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us that the solution is in the problem. And by embracing the problem, we embrace the solution. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we wonder what it means for us to pick up our crosses and to follow you.
you who so willingly laid down your life, you who went to the depths of hell and now reign with the angels in heaven. We wonder what it might mean for us to lay down our pride and to embrace our humility. We wonder what it might mean for us to take the next step toward progress, which might be a step backwards. We thank you, Jesus, for the beautifully elegant gospel. We thank you that in our wrestling with you, you allow us to emerge, that you are the one who submits, that you are the one who surrenders to death, that you are held on the bottom so that we might be lifted up. We thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful backwards gospel. In your holy name we pray. Amen.